It's good to be back on Search the Scriptures today. We want to welcome all of our visitors, as we always do. We're always so thankful to have you in the audience, listening, tuned in, ready to open up God's Word and study with us. Now, I know that many of you are listening probably in your car, so you don't literally have your Bible open, but you're ready to follow along nonetheless. And perhaps some of you, many of you perhaps, do sit at home or perhaps on a break in the office or whatever, and you may have your Bibles open. Certainly, the sense is that we're all together, all sitting around a table with our Bibles open, studying God's Word, sharing those rich teachings together. We're thankful you're there. we pray for you. We really do care, and we pray diligently for your understanding, for your growth in faith, and also for, in that process, you're coming closer and closer to God, and ultimately, that you're going to make that decision to come to him all the way through Christ for your forgiveness and salvation. That is our prayer. We'd love to help you toward that end as much as we can. Good to be here today again with Dwayne Kennedy. Thank you, Gary. It's good to be on the program with you, and I really appreciate the way you described how our listening audience might be studying with us, and that's a good way to look at it. I hope that you can be relaxed, just sit back and open your Bible and study with us, and after the program, you might even say a little prayer that God will guide you in the way that he wants you to go and that he will bring you to a knowledge of his word that will help you draw nearer to him. And I know that God will bless you in that if you keep that commitment that you make in prayer. It's good to be on the program. Welcome to another Bible study. Dwayne, we're missing Dennis today, scheduling conflicts, not allowing him to be with us, but uh, he's here in spirit. Yes. (laughs) And it's always great to to be able to have this program together, all of us, when that's, that uh, opportunity affords itself. And when one of us has to be gone, the other two being able to carry on. Yes. We're always thankful for that. Now, we're going to continue on with a series of studies that we have been looking at over the last several programs, asking the question, what was accomplished by the death of Christ? We often refer to John chapter 3 and verse 16. People quote it. People may even wear it on their clothing at times. Uh, You know, John 3.16, you see it at sports events, big signs held up by one of the fans. And those are encouraging and admirable uh, statements in themselves. But uh, many of us can quote the entire verse verbatim, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm not sure, though, that too many people really think about what this verse says in depth. And we're really looking at it from the perspective of what was literally accomplished by the death of Christ. It's more than just a fashionable statement. It It certainly is. It has profound impact on our lives if we allow it to. Yes. And, you know, Dwayne, as we've made the point in in the last several programs, If we do stop and think about the answer to the question, well, I'm not sure that we go into much depth in our thoughts. We kind of want a capsule version, you know, uh, just give it to me in a nutshell, summarize it, real succinct, short and sweet, because that's kind of the way we are in our culture today. We want everything uh, real short, real concise. 
But there's no way to really do that properly in answer to this question. John 3.16 says a tremendous amount. Yes. And when we go a little beyond that and we consider the broader spectrum of what was accomplished by the death of Christ, to really fully appreciate it, we have to get into an in-depth study. That's what we've been doing. Now, we've noted that the manifold wisdom of God is demonstrated in the death of Christ. And some people might think the manifold wisdom of God. Well, when you go back to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, you see the manifold wisdom of God. Now, that, that phrase, manifold wisdom, is a strange one for most of us. But it simply means, you know, his demonstrated wisdom or his obvious wisdom. It's right. brought out. And, and it's brought out through the death of Christ. In those verses in Ephesians chapter 3, it tells us that God had this plan for man's redemption in mind before he ever created man. In his omniscience or his divine ability to see into the future, God already knew that man was going to enter into sin and therefore would need redemption. Yes. And God, in his manifold wisdom already had a plan in mind, and that included Christ going to the cross and dying thereon, carrying the burdens of our sins on his shoulders, so to speak. Yes. He became that ultimate, perfect, one-time-for-all-time sacrifice to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. Now, also, something else that was accomplished in the death of Christ on the cross was the open demonstration, very vivid demonstration, in fact, of God's righteousness and justness and his justice. And someone might say again, well, what do you mean? Well, the patriarchal law, the law of God to man before Moses, and then the Mosaic law, the written law that he gave to Moses, and that the Jews lived under from then until Christ going to the cross, those laws were not complete laws in, in that they were not final. They were simply to take care of the needs, the spiritual needs and guidance of the followers of God until the coming of Christ. That's right. And so... In those laws, God passed over the sins of the people who were uh, following him faithfully in that he allowed them to offer animal sacrifices to atone for their sins, looking forward to the understanding that he was going to send Christ as the ultimate sacrifice. So when Christ went to the cross, he was that ultimate sacrifice. That's right. And God... At that point, in essence, forgave all those sins that had been atoned for properly under the Mosaic and the patriarchal laws. So his righteousness, his justness, and his justice were demonstrated through the death of Christ. Yes. Then also, the death of Christ offers us deliverance from an existence with no eternal hope. If you just consider it from a purely pragmatic perspective... Without Christ going to that cross, we're simply dead. That's right. Dead in our sins with no hope, no possibility of forgiveness 
or salvation. No chance to be found in God's favor at all. That's right. We cannot be reconciled to God except through Christ and his death on the cross. So he died on that cross and gave us the opportunity to come back into a right relationship with God through him. Now, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 and begin to look at another thing or accomplishment uh, that was achieved through the death of Christ on the cross. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. This really flows right out of our last point, but it is specific. Yes. Paul says that we have redemption from our sins, forgiveness of our sins That's right. through the death of Christ on the cross. Very important for us to understand. Now, we, we simply talk about forgiveness. I forgive you or please forgive me. Well, we're speaking more from human terms on a human level. But when we're talking about sin, only God can truly forgive. That's right, Gary. That is a part of who he is, and sin is not a part of who he is. That's it's right. a part of who we are. It's a part of what we do. And uh, we in of, our, of ourselves cannot take away our sins. We cannot. Now, at the same time, Again, I think we, we tend to view forgiveness and seeking forgiveness and giving forgiveness from a somewhat shallow perspective. We simply say, I forgive you. Yes. Please forgive me. Um, but God looks at the depths of the consequence of sin, what it is, the reality, and ultimately it's separation from God. Yes. On a spiritual level. And the consequence physically of sin can be seen in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 and referenced back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17 where God warned mankind, you eat the fruit of this particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you're going to die. That's right. Well, physical death became a reality from Genesis chapter 3 onward. And of course, that was in the garden. And spiritual death also became a reality. And that's what we see in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. The wages of sin is death. And that's separation from God. And we get a picture of that even in the book of Genesis, as you talked about in the beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned, there was a separation. They were separated from God. God removed them from the garden. That's right. And from access to the tree of life. Exactly. And there's also that sense, and it may be somewhat subtle, but after they sinned, after they disobeyed God, and then you, you read further in the text where he comes walking in the garden and they're hiding themselves from him. Exactly. Because of their sin. There's the guilt. There's the nakedness that they discovered. All yes. of these things occurred as a result of their sin. As a result of their sin. So... See, uh, the death of Christ on the cross brought the opportunity for us to be forgiven and redeemed. And, and the death had to take place there because that's the gravity of sin. It's not an incidental matter. We're talking about deadly serious. And Christ gave his life to pay the price as the ultimate sacrifice 
the perfect sacrifice to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. That's how serious sin is. And we may not feel it at the time that we are committing sin, but it is hurting us. It really is. It is is hurting us physically in many cases, but it is certainly hurting us spiritually as our separation from God begins. Okay. Now, let's turn to Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Now, notice that it says he gave himself to redeem us. From every lawless deed. Now that's the purpose of his death on the cross. Yes. At least a purpose to redeem us. Now what does that word redeem mean again? It means to buy us back, to bring us back. Buy us back. And what we're talking about is bringing us back into a right relationship of God. That's the term, that's the idea of the term reconciliation. Yes. Be reconciled to God. And notice that it also says to purify for himself, his people. We beca- Christians, those who become true New Testament Christians are the people of God, That's the right. people of Christ. And we cannot be those people without being purified by the blood of Christ. That's right. That's his death in the cross. Hebrews chapter nine and verse 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. There we see the superiority of Christ as a sacrifice over the, the lives of bulls and goats that were commonly used in, in atonements for sin as sacrifices in Old Testament times. Right. And, and what you get across, or what, what you, what you, the idea that comes across in the Hebrews letter is the superiority of Christ over Moses as lawgivers and of Christianity over the Mosaic law as, spiritual, as a spiritual law. And what we see here is that mankind, and you can go all the way back to the first chapter of, of, of Hebrews and read on, Man is higher than the animals yes. in God's scheme of creation. We're higher. He created us and us alone in his image after his likeness spiritually. We understand the difference between right and wrong and good and evil. We understand the concept of righteousness. Animals don't. Mm-hmm. They're not spiritual beings. We are. So, the idea of an animal being offered to atone for our sins is something of a, an inadequacy right. if you think about it from a from purely human perspective because you're you're taking the lesser and offering the lesser for the higher right and that doesn't work god sent the higher to offer for the lesser and that is Christ over us to be that offering for us, the lower. A higher sacrifice than those for whom that sacrifice was given. And that's very significant. The sacrifice that works for us, the that, that's perfect right. sacrifice. And we're seeing that from God's perspective. Right. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, 
we see both sides of the ledger, so to speak. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes. The wages of sin, that's the consequence. Right. Condemnation, eternally so. But the gift of God offered for us and given to give us the opportunity, and that's the life of Christ through whom we can have eternal life, eternal salvation. In James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we see that without Christ dying for us, we'd be doomed eternally. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Sin brings forth death. And that's the wages. The wages, yes. And we're not talking about just physical death. Right. Far more important is the spiritual death. Very, very important for us to tune into and understand. So the death of Christ brought about the reality of forgiveness, the reality of forgiveness, not just the hope, not just the promise, but the reality of forgiveness and redemption for mankind if we will turn to him for that forgiveness and redemption. Now, let's, let's turn to John chapter 3, and let's look at verses 15 and 16. We referred to verses, verse 16 earlier and throughout this particular series, but let's go back to verse 15 and read it in conjunction with verse 16. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then drop down to verse 36 in that same third chapter of John. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Salvation, everlasting life are made possible only through the death of Christ That's right. on the cross. Now, many of these things blend together, but what we're seeing, we're looking at the answer to this question, what was accomplished by the death of Christ in a much more in-depth kind of fashion. And so we see the idea of, of, of redemption and forgiveness, now salvation, everlasting life. They're all connected but all of these have separate meanings. And really, when you put them all together, when you see their separate meanings and you put them all together, it gives the whole a much broader and a much more in-depth and, and just more awesome understanding and reality. Yes, it does. All of that was accomplished for us through the death of Christ on the cross. Just amazing. Yes, and it gives us the opportunity, I think, looking at it in an in-depth way as we are, to make a better decision, to make the right decision, a decision that causes us to participate in the things that we are reading about. It certainly should. And, yes. and really, Duane, anybody who has any degree of understanding as to the answer to this question, what was accomplished by the death of Christ on the cross, and then does not take advantage of it? Sure is foolish indeed. Yes. Now let's turn to Romans chapter, uh, chapter 5, and how about reading verse 6? For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. 
our being without strength was because we were guilty of sin. That's right. And had no ability in and of ourselves to be forgiven of our sins. Right. Christ died for us when we were ungodly, ungodly. Drop down there to verses eight and nine. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. So in verse six, while we were without strength, while we were ungodly, Christ died for us. In verse eight, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What about verse 10? For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. When we were enemies, Christ died for us. So there were three strikes against us. At the very least. <laughs> we, we, we have nothing to do with this. No. Christ, God did it all for us yes. by sending Christ to the cross. We were ungodly, without strength, had an inability to forgive ourselves. We were sinners, openly recognized as such by God. And we, because of our sin, were enemies were his of enemies. God. And in that, when you, when you put that together in a conglomerate form, we were in a hopeless, pitiable state. And only by sending Christ to the cross could we brought, be brought out of that state and brought back into a right relationship with God. It's difficult for me to imagine, uh, I don't know, forgiving my enemy, uh, let alone sending uh, my son to die for my enemy, that that forgiveness might be possible and that that forgiveness might occur continually. Um, but we can't imagine it. We have an example and we can follow that example and we can live and find eternal life because of what Jesus did. Yes. Yeah. Almost unimaginable blessing. And yet the blessing was given. Yes. And we can see the reality of it through Christ dying on the cross. Time is up for today, so we're going to stop right here. Park will come back and we'll finish this study next time. And we encourage all of our listeners, be sure to tune in and hear the conclusion of this, this study, answering the question, what was accomplished by the death of Christ? Vital information for each one of us. Contact us right away and ask for that free Bible study, and you can begin studying how these matters apply to your life personally. We hope to hear from you right away.